0: Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hi guys, welcome back. Uh, this is Hunter again, and um today we're going to be continuing our study in First Peter, and um we're we're gonna be looking at kind of a, a parting word or, or Peter's like parting words on suffering. In in the previous section, Peter, in many ways, and in our last discussion together, um he closed out the formal body of his letter by connecting the suffering of believers to the call for continued right living, which ultimately results in the glory of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. Peter, as, as we move in our Bibles uh, towards the end of chapter 4, Peter is going to move through the closing sections of the letter. And, and these closing sections are what Peter wants to leave his recipients with. And, and in many ways, they sum up and capture the meaning of his letter. It is the message, if you will. And so, to move to the close of his letter and transition toward its end, Peter writes in First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, he says, Beloved, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter begins this new section, and in his closing comments, uh, and, and in it, he addresses his audience, audience again with a term that he has used before. Uh, and this term is going to pop up a lot as Peter closes out his letter. Uh, but he calls them beloved. To remind us, this beloved group is not called beloved because they're Peter's best friends or they're people that Peter agreed with everything on. Or they're not even beloved because they're people that Peter hangs out with all the time. Rather, there, there's something else that causes Peter to regard this audience as beloved. These are believers who, through persecution and their own suffering and identification with Jesus, which Peter has highlighted in previous sections, they have been dispersed to different parts of the world. Peter said that it's suffering Some dispersion, others in other ways, was a part of God's good foreknowledge. In other words, not only does God have a plan for our suffering, but in many ways, he foreknew our suffering in Jesus. It is to this group, this beloved, that he he is closing this letter out to, the dispersion. He tells them, Not to be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on them. Fiery trial is an interesting phrase for us today. Depending on where you look at history, it's been nearly 100 years since there was a public burning of any type in America, especially in our time. The term fiery trial evokes quite an image. It, it, It is often interpreted as a metaphor for the pangs of hell or burning difficulty of sin and temptation in our lives. The many difficult and tumultuous circumstances we face, and and I must say, it is no less than that. But in their world, public burnings and killings were much more common. As such, a letter addressed to a group of believers who likely had seen, heard about, or perhaps were themselves in danger of being burned to death for their faith. When Peter writes the phrase, fiery trials, that was a very real thing. Whether or not Peter used the term fiery trial as a means to invoke an image, I'll bet when his audience read this, their brains went to a specific and and pretty specific idea. Nonetheless, Peter tells them not to be surprised when they face these fiery trials. It's as if Peter is asking them, what did you expect? As a Christian, what did you expect? As a Christian who's living out the, the life of Christ, as Peter has discussed, did you expect something different? These trials, um, even unto death, exist to test you. I want to note something again here about tests, because I think it often gets lost in the weeds in our own culture. In our times, we have a real negative view of tests. We think of a test as this incredibly difficult or great task or evaluation we must do to prove something. And if we don't pass it, it is to our detriment. And that's not wrong. Like, that is kind of what a test is. But in many ways, what we have made tests to be is very negative. It's a thing that you must prove yourself. In the Bible, God is pictured as testing his people often, presenting them with a test. And we might read that and we might think, well, man, that's not good. But, but that, is, that is, God is good. And the tests in the Bible exist for them to demonstrate what they've learned, to demonstrate their faith. It is an opportunity for them to display their faith and offer it up to God. Tests, though challenging, are presented by God who gives his people good things. Peter said, as believers, we shouldn't be surprised by these. We shouldn't be surprised by these opportunities which might challenge our faith, to encourage us to show our faith, especially in the culture that we live in. As a result, there may be trials related to our act of showing faith. And so he tells this beloved group of dispersed Christians that they should rejoice. And he goes on to tell them why. In verse 13, he says, but rejoice, in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We rejoice because when we face these trials, we partake in and identify with the suffering of Christ, our Savior. I believe this is the attitude that Jesus spoke of in in Luke's Gospel, um, Luke chapter nine, starting in verse twenty three. And Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Fiery trials. Peter says when we suffer for Christ, we get to share all the more in his glory when he is revealed. Because when we pass the test... We are saying my faith, the Jesus that I believe in, is greater and of more value and is of more significance than succumbing to this trial. Imagine a lifetime of passing that test and in the end, it all pays off when Jesus is revealed. Peter goes so far as to say suffering produces a blessing in believers' lives. If someone insults you because you are a Christian, Peter says you are blessed. That's counterintuitive. Rarely do we feel blessed when we are insulted. Often it feels quite the opposite. But the argument is this. If we endure these trials because our faith to a point where after someone would insult us because of it, it's very likely we have already proven the genuineness of our faith. As a result, we may not say a lot in return, except that God's Spirit, the Spirit of glory and power, is in us. And that is of greater significance than any trial, more important than the difficulty of any test. It's a blessing to have God's Spirit on us. To have God dwell with us, that is the blessing. Matthew captured this notion when he said in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, 11 tells us, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Later on in his gospel, in Matthew 10, Verse 20 says, For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus told his followers they would face persecution, that they would be hated. When we endure suffering, we can be assured we have a blessing by God. Not because we suffered. Peter isn't arguing self-harm or flagellation. We are blessed because we have the Spirit. I want to note, there's a presentation of the gospel today that presents it as Jesus has, has died to free you from the cares and worries of this world. And while that is part of our future hope, when Jesus spoke about the process of being one of his followers, and when Peter writes about the process of being a Christian, they're both pretty clear. um, it, It will be faced with a fair deal of suffering in this life. If someone gives you a gospel that says, Once you believe this, you have it on easy street. I'm afraid that is not real. Peter also notes, We need to suffer for the right reasons. People suffer as a result of their sins all the time. He says, Let not one of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. As Peter's discussed in the past, In the past, there's a difference between suffering for the sake of Jesus and suffering as natural consequences for our sins. Peter's language about blessings and our suffering, paired with his reminder to not suffer because of sin. The idea is if we live lives categorized as being meddlers or evildoers or forbidden thieves or murderers, we suffer. And even if we have faith in Christ, the testimony of our suffering is marred by the natural consequences of our sin. Rather, Christians should strive to live lives of integrity, lives that are, that are above reproach. The idea being that we live lives categorized as contrary to these things so that even if someone were to insult or malign our name by saying, well, we had done this and those who have observed our character would see how we live and say, mm, it's not consistent with who I know them to be. Above reproach. This testimony upholds the blessing we have in suffering. It says, I'd probably suffer less in this case if I did this thing. Like, if I gave in and did this, I would probably suffer less. But for the sake of Christ, I choose to live as Jesus wants me to, knowing that in doing so, I might be incurring more suffering on myself. It is to choose suffering on behalf of Jesus in this life the hope of a future restoration and fulfillment rather than ease and comfort and going with the culture resulting in the natural and spiritual consequences of our sin. Contrary to suffering for sin, we should experience some level of shame and our displeasing God. Now, I want to note here, there's another notion um, that the gospel, Jesus dying for our sins, namely, Um, exists that we might not feel shame, that we might not be ashamed. Now, I I will say, Jesus removes our shame. He, He gives us a new name. But as Christians, if we live in such a way that is starkly against the desires of our Father, what we know to be right and to be the way we need to conduct ourselves as we are moved by the Holy Spirit, we ought to feel some shame now it shouldn't linger but we should feel it but when we suffer for the sake of christ we should not be we should not be ashamed of that in that we have the opportunity to bring and give god all the glory for allowing us to endure and sustaining us in suffering as well as bearing witness to the worthiness of jesus in the midst of it The ability of believers suffering to bring glory to God is directly related to God's righteousness in his judgment. Peter says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? God is just and righteous. Likewise, God will judge all people, even those who are members of the household of God. Again, judgment, an idea that I think is often shied away from, To those who have responded in saving faith, clinging to the hope of their resurrected Savior, as Peter wrote in chapter 1, to those, they will be saved. They are secure, but their deeds will be judged. And having lived for the gospel or according to the good news, as Peter says, despite the suffering they face, they will reap a blessing when they are judged. But, God will judge nonetheless. And the argument is, God is so righteous, Peter's argument here. He will even address the sin of his own people resulting in reward and correction as they obtain their hope in faith, which is again a faith God provides in his kindness through Jesus. So, even if those who are God's people, who responded to God's loving kindness in faith, will be judged and likely barely make it through in some cases, literally by the skin of their Savior. How much more, if that is the case, if those in faith are just barely saved, saved literally only because of Jesus, how much worse is the judgment for those who spurned God's kindness and rejected Christ's offering of salvation? We capture this, Peter quotes, and I I would say roughly, I might add, the proverb translated. His quote is taken from the Greek Greek Septuagint, but the proverb quoted is Proverbs 11.31. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? The proverb in its context um, seems, if you read Proverbs 11, it seems to suggest that the wise or the righteous will reap the due reward of their righteousness, while the wicked and sinners will receive due punishment. Now, the thing about Proverbs that we have to remember, especially in this case, is that they are general wisdom. They are not guarantees for every occasion. But sometimes, as Peter notes in his letter, sometimes the righteous face suffering as a result of those who've hitched their wagons to the culture and seem to have it made on easy street. And he uses this proverb, he he kind of flips this proverb on its head. To say, "If if the righteous receive their due, and they are barely saved, they make it into the kingdom and partake in the hope by nothing but the blood of Jesus. What do we have to say for those who reject that? It's a call to respond. Our righteousness cannot save us. It is by God's grace we are saved. And those who reject the gospel, Proverbs suggests they will get what they want. They will get what they have earned. You don't want God? Then your suffering apart from God is tantamount. And the believer may hear all Peter has presented so far and communicated. And they might think to themselves, well, I believe in Jesus. I understand that in believing in Jesus, it means living different from the culture around me. And that as a result of that faith, I will likely face suffering. I know I have hope in Jesus, but I still face sin. And though I sin, I know I will give an account in judgment. And in Jesus Christ, I will be saved. I don't want to sin, but suffering is difficult. Peter knows. And he goes on to address this concern. How do we proceed? How do we move forward in trust, in faith, in God's ability to secure us and keep us despite the pressures of sin and suffering? Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's answer is the way we proceed is trusting in God and doing good. When we suffer, even unto death, as some of Peter's original audience likely experienced or lived in the face of, nonetheless, we are to entrust ourselves to our faithful Creator. He made us, He died for us, He secures our faith. Peter says, entrust your soul to that God. And then, go about doing good. If you are a Bible underliner or highlighter, 1 Peter 4.19 is one worth noting. Yet even so, even in, in, especially if when we do good in Jesus' name, we will face suffering. And when we do, We again trust ourselves to our faithful creator, and we do good, and so continue to live out the gospel of our faith. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.